Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. If, if you haven't already here across the campuses, grab a seat, grab a seat, grab a seat. If you're in the state of Georgia, it is chilly today. Anyone excited about that? Anybody angry about that? Talk to me in the middle of July. I'll pray for you next year. I am happy about it. But welcome to week two of a conversation we started last weekend, and I want to catch all of us up in case you didn't, but, but, but if you did miss Will you go back and watch last weekend? There's so many things that sort of pour a foundation into the conversation, but I'll hit the highlights. We're in a series we're calling the battle for your mind. There's a battle raging in your mind, and we're having a conversation about mental and emotional health. And we're having this conversation. We're talking about it because God cares about it. Like, this is not an other conversation for God. It's at the core. In fact, Jesus says this in, in the, the book of Mark. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And he would stop there if he didn't care about this conversation. But he says also with your mind and your strength, all of you, because all these things are, listen, everything is connected in you. As a, as a whole person, all those things are interconnected, heart and soul and mind and strength. And God doesn't compartmentalize your mind from your spirit or your soul from your, your strength and your body. He made you all one. Everything's connected. And it's why, like, when you eat bad or don't sleep well, it affects all parts of you. I said it last week, and my favorite comedian, Nate Barkatsi, talks about his love for pancakes, man. He loves pancakes, but here's, he doesn't understand why he's so tired all day after he eats them. And so it's, it's, it's worse. He doesn't even blame the pancakes. He blames himself. He's like, what is up with me today? Why, why do I feel like this? Because it's all connected. The things you do with your physical body connect to your emotional, to your spiritual. And we, we have to understand that all of this is one big conversation. And, and the reality is that your mind plays a very specific role in all the rest of your life. And there's a battle raging for it because our lives are always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. It's why scripture and neuroscience and then theology and psychology and modern medicine and the miraculous all seem to point to this thought that most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. If you lose in your mind, you lose everywhere. So here's how the Bible says it, Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, you are. It's a scary thought. And now you know why we're in the conversation, because mental and emotional health is a discipleship conversation. This is a conversation the church has to be in. And it's a quick reminder. I said it last week, but let me just say it again. Listen, I am not a counselor. I've done a ton of research on the topic. I've never read more and studied more, but I'm not a counselor. I'm not a mental health expert, right? But I am a pastor, and I love you. I'm a father. And I know this affects my own kids. And this church is a family. See, and families have conversations. And in this family, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. 
And my prayer for this series is that God would give breakthroughs and hope and oxygen and get heads above water in this mental and emotional battle that we're having. And so today we talk about week two, the battle for your mind. See, last weekend, God exceeded expectations, at least mine. Had a conversation about hopelessness. And I can't tell you the stories because they're too real and raw and current. But God is meeting people where they are. Man, we invited people to come up for prayer at the end of the service and across the campuses. There were stories of beautiful moments with God where people who had battled things for a long time, man, God's transforming things in us. And I believe that God might use this conversation to radically transform the most pressing and practical places of your life. And today we continue in the conversation. And today we're talking about the battle in your mind, which are the thoughts you think about other people. See, now we're starting to get the rubber meat in the road. This hopeless thing was the conversation, the thoughts you had sort of inside about yourself. Today we're talking about the way you think about other people because the way you think about them affects how you feel about them and how you feel about them affects how you interact with them and how you interact with them determines your relational sort of world and how you interact in every conversation and relationship you have. And that's where we're going today. And I want to give us a picture of how God desires relationships to look for those of us who follow Jesus from Philippians chapter two, which is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Here's what it says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Let's try to say it together by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, which means do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Well, I look out for you. You look out for me. And it's all a beautiful family. That's a Barney song from Scripture. Anyway, um, it, I don't want to go back to those days. My kids are past Barney. Praise Jesus. I love you. We're done with those days. But, but, but Philippians 2 is a beautiful picture of what God wants our relationships to look like. Problem is, they don't always look like that. I've seen some of y'all. I've seen some of y'all with your kids at the jumpy places when they're disobeying. It doesn't play like that. I've seen it. I've experienced it personally because we're in a battle and it's fought in our mind. And the lies we believe about people, other people might be the easiest place for Satan to deceive us. Because listen, people give us a lot of material to work with. Satan's not looking around going, man, what could I... What could I say about how, how relationships are messed up and people are selfish? It's like, no, I could pick one of 100 things. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a weak spot in our defenses because, listen, we've all experienced people have disappointed us. People have let us down. People have betrayed us. People have hurt us. There is no end to the material Satan can use. And here's what he loves to do. He loves to twist and contort how you process your past. He loves to contort how you process what happened to you in a relationship in an unhealthy way. And when you process your past in unhealthy ways, you engage your present and future in unhealthy ways. 
In fact, here's how he twists. He likes to take something that happened and twist it some other way. He likes to twist this that from, listen, that person let me down into people always let me down. To twist that person lied to me. One person, he lied to me. She lied to me into, I can't trust anybody. He likes to twist that person betrayed me into everybody is out to get me. He loves to, to twist this thought from that person to those people. If you ever said the word those people, if you heard someone say those people, they hurt me. They lie to me. And over time, Satan gets you to buy into this lie so deeply that your way of thinking and seeing people creates a stronghold in your mind that is now a new filter for how you see the world, and you'll even eventually believe the worst about good things. Here's a way he will twist it eventually. From that person was kind to me, good, into what are they really trying to get from me? Like you can't even trust when something good happens anymore. Because the way you see the world, the thoughts you have in your mind are so twisted that you can't even see good things right anymore. And when you sit inside of this lie long enough, you drift towards our topic today, which is cynicism. Cynicism is eating our lunch. In friendships, marriage, in church, our country is being torn apart by cynicism. I think if God wanted to fix one thing that could domino to a many, a multitude of things, it would be cynicism. See, I sat inside of this this week and for the weeks leading up to it, and this is a topic I've wanted to hit for a long time. But the problem is like getting to the root of cynicism is so tricky because it has like Every time you dig a layer deeper, you think you got the, the root, and then you realize there's more root and more root. And, and through ungodly amounts of reading and study, I, I think I found what is the practical, material, real reason that cynicism grows in us. And here's how it's defined. Cynicism is defined as an inclination to distrust the motives of others. Cynicism takes pride more than anything in not being fooled or feeling humiliated. The drive of a cynical mind is that I'm not going to I'm not going to trust the motives of people because you've heard it said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And once you've experienced the, the foolishness and humiliation of someone betraying you or lying to you or deceiving you, the feeling of humility or feeling of humiliation and, and the feeling of, of foolishness, you go, I'll never do that again. I'll never let that happen again. And so here's what the lie of cynicism tells us. If I distrust everybody, then nobody can deceive me again. That is the lie of cynicism. And Satan wants you to believe that because it will create suspicion, paranoia, distrust, and bitterness in your relationships. Because trust is at the core of what makes a relationship work. And cynicism says, yeah, dis distrust everybody. And it's toxic to relationships because it replaces trust with suspicion. And now you walk around your life with this 
taste of suspicion in your mouth as you engage everybody. And you just kind of go, what are they really doing? What are they really trying to get out of me? Why would they do that? What's really behind that? And if you live that way long enough, it's exhausting and destructive to your mental and emotional health. And I believe God wants to speak into this conversation. So let me introduce a thought that's going to sound like a left field thought, but it'll make sense in a minute. What if cynicism, what if cynicism was the result of a filing error? So let me, let me play it out. Have you, have you ever read any of those crazy stories in the news where like a weird filing error in a computer or by a clerical person like messes something up in good ways or bad ways, but crazy stuff happens. You ever read one of those before? You heard them? There, there's a story in 2021 out of Louisiana. So get this, this, this 911 dispatcher, her name is, is uh, Kaylin, and she goes to her bank account and suddenly sees a deposit for $1.2 million was deposited in her account. What would you do? <laughs> Wait a second. I've never seen that many zeros in my bank account ever. Let me tell you what Kaylin did. What happened was her brokerage account mistakenly filed that payment into the wrong account number, and it came to hers by mistake. And here's what the news article said, and I quote, when the, when the, the, the bank came back to try to get the money, here's what it says. But the next day, when her investment brokerage tried to recover the money it had deposited in error, about a quarter of the funds were already gone. And for a month, the company called, emailed, and texted her, and all correspondence went unanswered. In other words, she gone, baby. She took that 1.2 million and she's got 24 hours. She spent a quarter million dollars filing errors, baby. In that case, give me a few of those filing errors, right? The other side plays out as well. December 2022 in Colorado, there happened to be two ladies that were both, both named Grace Elliott and they're the same insurance company. And one young, one of the Grace's names, uh, one of the Grace's was a young preschool teacher in California. The other was a retiree. And there was a filing error, and the older Grace Elliott had a, uh, a, a shoulder surgery that was very costly, and somehow the bill got sent to the younger Grace Elliott, and she's like, I never had a shoulder surgery, and she had to fight for months to get these bills off of her, her bank statements and her liens on her home, and they put her in a collection agency, and they're chasing her down, filing errors. They are costly. And listen, what if cynicism was the result of a filing error in your mind? I want to play it out. The way you file away your past experiences shape how you interact in your present relationships. And if your mind is sort of a giant filing cabinet to file away memories and emotions and experiences, both good and bad, what if we're we're filing them away wrong. And what if what God wants to do in Romans 12 too, is to transform your life by renewing your mind. See, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What if he wants to transform how you file things away? Let me play it out. If there's two ways to do this, God's pattern to file your past experiences with people is called discernment. Hopefully you've heard this word. Let me show you how discernment works. You have a friend that lies to you and you catch him or her in this lie and it hurts and it's a, it's a thing. What God would tell you to do, his way of doing this is you go to the filing cabinet of your mind 
and you pull out that person's folder. Bill betrayed me. Bill stabbed me in the back. Bill lied to me. And then you take your notes and you file away for Bill. Hey, man, I just need to remember. And today he, he lied to me and I caught him betraying me or talking behind my back. And you just, you file that away. You put that back in the filing cabinet of your mind. You shut the cabinet and then you draw healthy boundaries for that relationship based on how Bill hurt you or betrayed you or lied to you. And here's what, here's what discernment does. This is how God would ask us to do this. Discernment wisely helps you establish healthy boundaries for unhealthy or destructive people. So this is the beauty of how God's designed us, that forgiveness doesn't require you to allow people that are unhealthy and destructive to keep hurting you. Forgiveness is not, I forgive you, you can stay close to me and keep lying to me and keep stabbing me in the back. That's crazy town. You forgive them, you file what they did to you in their folder, put the folder away, draw healthy boundaries. Bill lies to you again. You get the folder out, make another note, the boundaries get bigger. And eventually, Bill might not be in relationship with you. Don't mishear this, because listen, when I talk about past, for some of us, it's a one out of 10. Man, that, that friend of mine betrayed me. That was, that was bad. For others, it's an 11 out of 10. I'm not cheapening this conversation like, just get over it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there is a healthy way that God says, this is how you file away. It's called discernment. Use wisdom that God's given you. File it in their file. Here's the unhealthy way. This is the lie of the world that tells you. And it's called cynicism. And let me tell you how cynicism works. Same situation. Bill lies to you. And you catch him lying. It's like, Bill, how could you do that, bro? We've been, we've been boys for like 10, 20 years. We've done life together, and I caught you in the lie. Here's what cynicism does. It takes out Bill's folder. It makes the note. The problem is you start taking out other people's folders going, well, if Bill lied to me. Bill's lying. He's a, he's a friend with Steve. I'm going to put that in. Steve's folder as well, and then, man, I, my, that, that guy I met the other day, man, he just seemed a little sketchy and suspicious. I'm going to put that in his folder, and then, listen, I got this other friend that, man, if, if Bill would lie to me, yeah, he'd lie to me too. I'll put that in his folder, and I'll put that there, and you start going through. The, here's, here's what cynicism tells you to do with the things that hurt you in your past. Cynicism says this. Cynicism unwisely establishes a pattern of suspicion and distrust for everyone you meet. Cynicism tells you to file away what that person did in other people's folders. So suddenly you're experiencing this idea that from Bill hurt me to everybody hurt me. From Bill lied to I can't trust anybody. And this cynicism plague starts to take over your mind and form strongholds. And it goes from a person to those people and the files of our life starts to stack up with things that people we know now never did. They did them. And now you see everything through the filter of what that person did to you. And now cynicism begins to take root. I've heard it said this way. If you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. It's got some gravity to that statement. See, cynicism keeps you perpetually bleeding. The next person you meet, the next person you meet, the next person you meet. 
God goes, listen, use discernment. When they hurt you, file it, boundaries, wisdom, healthy life, healthy relationships, forgive and move on. Cynicism says everybody's going to hurt you. You put that in all your folders because you know what? You ain't going to fool me again. Phil, Bill, whatever I said his name was, I was two good friends that lied to you. Phil and Bill, man, they're terrible. They're twins. They're bad people. Phil and Bill lied to me. Never again. I'm not going to trust the next person I meet. Let me, let, me, let me play this out. Let me show you how it plays out in different sort of areas of relationship, like close, intimate friendships or dating or marriage. Think about this. You had an ex when you were in college. Some of y'all actually have a name you're thinking of right now. It's getting awkward. You had an ex in college. And that clown behind your back, he, she, man, cheated on you and lied to you. And man, you found a dating app on his or her phone while you were dating them. And he's like, it wasn't active. And you looked at it and you're like, no, that's fully active. And who's he or she you're talking to? And you start to just, this file on your boyfriend from college. Problem is, you break up, you move on, you file it away. But then you go on a first date. And you're like, man, I want to I get back out there. And here's the problem. Here's what a first date with you looks like. Hey, great to meet you. <sighs> Listen, I, I'm smelling something from you. Can I check your phone? And the guy's like, I met you 30 seconds ago. And you bring your ex-boyfriend's folder to your first date. And you bring cynicism, suspicion, distrust. And the problem is that guy or that girl sits across from you and he's like, it's been a blast. Thank you. And then he ghosts you and you go, I told you, I can never trust a guy. I can never trust another woman in my life. I told you that's how they were. And, it, and the guy, if, if you could talk to him, honestly, he'd go, I was super stoked. I saw your picture. I was excited. And man, things got heavy. <laughs> I've heard ladies say there is no good men out there anymore. Maybe. Or maybe you're bringing folders to dates and they're looking at you like you're crazy. There are no good women out there anymore. Maybe, or maybe this is what you're doing. See, cynicism takes the things that hurt you back there and brings them into your present and future relationships. And like we said last week, the neuroplasticity, the more you do this, the, the easier it is for your brain to get back to this way of thinking. And cynicism is a self-fulfilling, self-perpetuating thing. Let's play it out again. So you worked for a boss back in the day, maybe your last boss. And dude, what did that boss do to you? Man, that boss, he was manipulative. And you got a file, man. He was manipulative. And he took advantage of you. And he'd call you on your day off and send you in. And then he'd cheat the paperwork so you didn't get paid overtime and didn't count your hours. Just distrustworthy, bad dude. And you got your file from your last boss. And you set it there. Tell your friend, that, that boss, you finally get a new job. I'm excited. I got my new job. Problem is on day one of your new job, you got your last boss's folder and you put it in your new boss's folder. This guy's done nothing to you. Innocent party. He, if he did anything, he gave you a job, by the way. And you put your old boss's folder inside of his and you sit there and he, he feels you sort of distrusting keeping him at an arm's length. And he's like, hey, you enjoying the job? And you're like, 
we'll see. We'll see if I enjoy it. I'll let you know. And as the boss, he's sitting there like he's going, man, we're not, I don't feel like they trust me and I feel like they're suspicious. Let me try some more things. And you just, you just keep looking back at your last boss's folder and applying it to your new boss. And here's what happens. Over time, the suspicion makes him keep you at an arm's length as you keep him or her at an arm's length. And eventually he's like, hey, this is not working out. And you know what you say to your friends that night? I told you. I told you, man, you can't trust authority. Man, you can't trust bosses. And you do that two or three more times, and then you start saying things like, listen, bosses are all terrible. They'll never promote you. They'll use you. They'll throw you away. They're greedy. They don't care about people. They only care about the bottom line. And you believe you are correct because it's self-fulfilling. Cynicism delivers the lie you believe is going to happen. Like it creates the scenario and the environment where this plays out. You bring the folder from your old boss to your new boss. You put them at a distance. And when you do, it costs the relationship. You lose the job and go, I told you so. You can't even see your role in this whole thing. This happens in church. It's real. Like some of y'all, your file on your last church. And didn't meet your expectations. Someone was mean to you, you wanted to sing, and they said, man, you're tone deaf, and you're like, I'm not tone deaf. <laughs> Maybe you are. Anyway, and you leave. The problem is you don't file that away in your old church or that one person you filed away in all churches, and then you come here, and you bring your folder from your last church, and you go, we'll see how this place treats me. See if they'll let me sing or if they're, if they're just selfish and mean in like other place. Or, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see how friendly this church is. And you sit back like this and go, no one's even talking to me. Can you believe it? And meanwhile, we're walking by going, that guy's super mad at me. I don't even know. I've never met this person. And you bring all your junk from your last church here and go, why is, so, why is everyone so mean? No one, no one even talked to me today. Is that what... That's what all churches are like, isn't it? And then here's what's scary. Here's what Satan loves. Then you start to say, that's how God is, isn't it? And suddenly you start to keep a folder on God himself. God, here's how you've disappointed. Let me down. You've betrayed me. And suddenly you find yourself isolated. Because it's really hard to be around a cynical person. It's really hard to make someone happy and meet someone's expectations that brings a folder like this on day one. And it's self-fulfilling because the way you act when you're cynical pushes people away, which just feeds the thought that I was right all along. And perhaps the most dangerous lie of cynicism is in regards to how you file away your folder. See, because what cynicism does is says, this is how everyone else has hurt me, betrayed me, lied to me, stabbed me in the back. And you're so focused on filling this file that you assume that your file is empty. See, the end result of cynicism is this. Cynicism, it ends up in self righteousness. I never thought about this, but cynical people tend to be self 
righteous people because we assume that our folder is empty and their folder is full. And cynicism gives us the pleasure of effortless superiority. Because you're so focused on filling up their files that you don't realize you have a file. And you got stuff to own. I want to give you a picture of marriage. This is my spouse. This is me. Good luck. Let's look at a friendship. This is my friends and this is me. Let's look at a church. This is all those people. This is me. Self-righteousness is the terminal endpoint of cynicism. And can I just be honest? Our culture is drowning in self-righteousness. Let me be more personal. There are places in my life where I'm drowning in self-righteousness. And the thing that I hate about cynicism is it is so hard to see. Because it reinforces itself when you act cynical and you treat people suspiciously and they push you away, it reinforces the thought, I was right all along. This really is their folder. And I'm innocent. In fact, here's how Jesus referred to the religious, hypocritical, cynicistic leaders of the day in Matthew 23. Jesus says, listen, don't do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy and cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. They got files on people and I'm hanging your file on you and yours on you, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They walk around like their poop doesn't stink and they walk around like you're terrible. That's what they do. Religious, hypocritical, cynical people live this way and eventually you lose your ability to even see how you could be wrong. See, everything that they do to me gets filed away as wrong and selfish motives and hurtful. And everything I do gets filed away as right and virtuous and pure. And suddenly you have spouses who can't even see how their spouse might be right. Suddenly you have friends who can't even imagine them being wrong in a certain situation. You have coworkers who can't find a reason that they might need to apologize for something. Suddenly you have a country that can't see anything good about those people on the other side of the aisle. Suddenly we have a place that we're all sitting here suspicious of one another. No ability to trust or look in the mirror and own our own stuff because that's what cynicism does. See, a person walks a path to cynicism and here's, here's the, the, the path we're going to walk through. A person betrayed you or disappointed you, and you don't ever want to feel that way again. So slowly over time, you begin to file that singular event into other people's files, and then you start treating innocent people with the contempt and suspicion that should be reserved for that one person. And now you can no longer process relationships in a healthy way and begin to assign selfish motives to even the kindest and most genuine of gestures which further pushes people away, leaving you in the pain of isolation and loneliness, which deepens your resolve and belief that your suspicions were right all along. 
and your cynicism blinds you to the reality of your own file and your role in the destruction of these relationships, leaving you self-righteous, and eventually you believe that all people are untrustworthy, and you are an innocent victim, and you retell yourself that story over and over again for the rest of your life. Now that we're all happy, let's pray and go home. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. There's a hopelessness to this way of thinking. But can I tell you this? There is hope. And we don't have to live like this. Here's the truth. God wants to free you from the mindset of cynicism. Man, there's marriages in this church. I'm in multiple conversations. I, there are marriages in this church that if God would change your mindset of cynicism, everything. There are families that are so fractured, they don't see a path back, and there isn't one until God would resolve cynicism. In our country, if God resolves cynicism in the hearts of just believers, just the church, it would change everything. You see, the battle is won or lost in your mind. And when I get to places in my own life and in messages where I, I don't know what do you do with this? It's just too big. Cynicism's too big of a problem. When I hit those places, you know what I do? I preach the gospel back to myself. Like if I have to like fall back on something, I fall back on the gospel. And I want you to see, remember we said Philippians 2, I want you to see how Jesus thinks about himself. Here's what it says. And this is a relationship passage. You may have never seen this before. In your, in your, you and mine, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is his mindset? Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus' mindset would affect how he operates in relationships. And he's saying, you and me, we need to have the same mindset as Christ. Jesus was the only person in all of history who actually had a clean folder. Therefore, he had every right to treat us cynically. Because we actually did the stuff. See, Jesus could have done that. But instead, Jesus made himself nothing. Humbled himself. Took on the nature of a servant. And he served even unto death. And it was this mindset that allowed Jesus to be our sacrificial forgiving atonement. So that we could be forgiven for our folder before Almighty God. Had Jesus taken on cynicism, you know what he'd have done? He'd have said, listen, my folder's clear. Good luck with yours. Instead, he took the nature of a servant. He thought about himself as a humble servant. And I want you to see how that mindset played out in the, in the practical relationships Jesus had. Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 guys that were his inner circle. His rider dies. Three years they spent nearly every day together. And on the night before Jesus would be arrested, convicted, and crucified, he had one last dinner with his boys. This is the night before it all goes down. Three years of investment in these guys. And in just a 
few short hours, Jesus was about to be done wrong by the people closest to him. Judas was about to betray him. Peter was about to deny him. And the other 10 disciples, except for John, were about to abandon him while he was crucified. Like, we all, we all have hurt in our past. We've been betrayed, but I mean, this is. And when confronted with the reality that 11 of his 12 closest friends were going to disappoint him, here's what John 13 tells us Jesus did. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. See, when confronted with a betrayer, Jesus picked up a towel. When confronted with a denier, Jesus picked up a towel. When confronted with 10 deserters, Jesus picked up a towel and washed their feet. In other words, listen, Put down your files and pick up a towel. Can I tell you the antidote to cynicism? And it's not going to make sense immediately. See, cynicism says, I'm going to keep files on everybody, and they're all going to blend and blur, and I'm going to trust nobody, and I'm going to spend my energy. Go ahead and hurt me again. Boom. Boom. And we spend so much time keeping files that it messes with who we are at a soul level and we exhaust ourselves in suspicion and paranoia and bitterness and a desire to not be fooled again and we spend our time here and what Jesus says is put the files down and just pick up a towel and serve see serving begins to break the back of cynicism cuz listen serving Rather, cynicism captivates your mind with the sins of others and the pride of self. Serving captivates your mind with the needs of others and dying to self. Cynicism lets others' actions control your mind. What they do gets my mind just wrapped up in it. Serving allows you to take back control of your mind because cynicism wants to avoid feeling humiliated at all costs. So you go around in life distrusting everyone so you don't feel humiliated. It is hard to humiliate someone who's already decided to pick up a towel. You can't humble me and humiliate me when I've already bowed down and I'm washing your feet. You can't take me down a notch when I've already decided, like Jesus, to take on his mindset. You can't take from me what I have freely given you. And in a relationship that is governed by cynicism, someone has to be the person to grab the towel first. Because cynicism tells you that people are the enemy. The gospel tells you people are the prize. And we're walking around so afraid to look foolish filing it away, just protecting our fragile emotions and pride. And when Jesus had the opportunity to do that, he grabbed a towel, not a file. See, every time in your marriage, you start to feel cynicism rising up. You start to feel suspicious at your spouse. And what you want to do is grab that file. Can I just, can I ask you, would you grab a towel instead and serve? Like, let's be silly. Grab a dish towel. Do the dishes. See, when you start serving someone, when you start washing someone's feet, you get a different perspective from down there. 
See, when you're in a church and when you start to feel like, man, I don't know if they like me or they're, are they talking behind my back? And you get just suspicious and scared and you want to protect your heart and your emotions. Instead of grabbing a file and sitting back like this, would you grab a towel and serve? And you know what you'll discover? When you serve, it brings out the best in people. Can I tell you the side benefit of serving? When you serve, you give the people, you give people the opportunity to reveal who they really are. See, when you're cynical, it's self-fulfilling. When I treat you like you're untrustworthy and I'm paranoid and suspicious of you, you act accordingly. And you tell yourself, see, my suspicions were white. Right. When, when you serve somebody, you take yourself out of the equation, you take your finger off the scale, and people will reveal who they really are. So when you serve, you know what healthy people will do? Healthy people, it'll bring the best out in them. When my wife and I hit stuff and one of us chooses to serve, it brings the best out in the other. And I go, ah, I was wrong. And I can own my stuff and say, hey, I was, I was treating you based on other people's files. I had something happen at work today that just, I brought that into how I see you and I got to own my, I'm sorry. See, cynicism reveals you, serving reveals who they are. But here's what happens when, when unhealthy people, listen, when I serve an unhealthy person, when I wash their feet, they don't change. They keep taking advantage of me. They keep betraying. They keep lying. They go, this is awesome. I have my cake and eat it too. And it reveals who they are. And you go back to where we started. You get to use discernment, put in healthy boundaries, forgive and move on. But either way, now you know, and you don't have to be suspicious of everybody. When you serve, you lay down suspicion because you let them reveal who they really are. And on the cross, Jesus revealed who he really is. And then he says, hey, follow me. Serve, even if it costs you. Serve, even if there's moments where you feel foolish or humiliated. Serve, even when people take advantage of you, because the only other alternative is to live in suspicion, bitterness, and distrust. So I've prayed this week that there would be numbers of people among us that the Spirit of God is going to have to help you find yourself in this because cynicism loves to hide and it loves to whisper, see, I told you. And it reinforces the lie that you believe. And what if the Holy Spirit would just help shine a spotlight on the places where there's cynicism growing and you might, you might need to make a phone call on your drive home from work today or from church today. You might need to have a conversation tonight and go, man, I got to own some stuff. I've, I've put some things in your folder that are not yours. They're my stuff, and I got to own that. Will you forgive me? And can we just serve and love each other? You might need to have a conversation with your boss tomorrow. Hey, man, I brought some stuff into this job that was not yours. Someone else cut me, and I'm bleeding on you. I got to own my stuff, man. See, cynicism. It's toxic to relationships. And here in a minute across the campuses, we're going to receive the offering and we're going to open up the front for prayer. And, and there's those among us who, man, cynicism's eating your lunch. Your marriage is just toxic because suspicion and distrust and paranoia and baggage you've brought in. And, and serving is, is the practical first step but for many of us, it's prayer because you can't even get past the hurt. You got so much baggage and hurt. 
you first of all need an encounter with Almighty God and say, God, I need you to heal some things. I, need, I don't know how to forgive that person. I know I need to. I need you to help me with that. And part of the reason we're, we're family as a church is we love to do that. We love to pray for each other. So we're going to do that in a minute. And I would encourage you, man, don't be too proud for this. Self-righteousness is how you perpetuate cynicism. Lay it down. Humble yourself and say, I need help in this. Great. We'd love to pray for you. We'll pray till we're done. But first, we're going to respond in a different way. Because listen, the gospel demands a response. We sing, we bring, and we pray. And we're going to sing in a second. We're going to worship God for who he is. We're going to bring our tithes and offerings. The basket's going to pass. So guests, no obligation to give. 12 Stone family, honor him with your first and best. And then we're going to pray. And so bands, as you're leading us in worship, would you worship well the God who took on a lowly position so that he could empty your folder and put it in his. And then he says, hey, follow me in this. Worship well. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry 
is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.